0: I've watched men and women live out their lives by their own standards, engaging in all of the activities of the world, also calling themselves Christian, lives full of many varied activities and goals and directions, Many of the things they pursued were worthwhile and good. Many of the things they pursued were foolishness and emptiness and had no eternal meaning. And I've watched as those people have gone on to finally pass into their grave. I began naming all of the people that I could remember that I loved so dearly who are gone. There was Emma, Beatrice, there was Marjorie, there was Aaron, there was Dan, there was Matt, there was Orpha, there was Rollo. I could go on naming name after name and they're all gone they're dead. They now face the judgment. Most of those that I named were shallow, concerned about the day-to-day activities of their lives, with no recognition that their days would finally end. Andy he always liked to come by the house and have a bowl of ice cream on Sunday afternoon. And he would he would chit chat with Dad and then he'd go and I'd say to my dad, Daddy, why did Andy come today? Well, Ray, he just came because he wanted some homemade ice cream. So, but Daddy, you didn't talk to him about Jesus. Why not? And he'd say, "Well, Raymond, Andy already thinks he's a Christian, and he doesn't see any need to talk about Jesus." And so, these precious ones, most of them, died as shallow when they died as they were through their entire lives. There was never any depth. There was never any coming to an abrupt end of themselves and the beginning of something new in Jesus. There was never a, a laying aside of all these activities. So they had time to search after Jesus. Now, if you've had time and you've taken time, and we all have the same amount of time, It's all in how we've chosen to use that time, the choices and decisions we've made. Have you in your life come to a point where you've said, I can't go any further in this direction because I need the deep things of God to be evident in my life and manifested in my life. I need Jesus. Some of you have. I've been looking time after time, this week and last week, at the birth of Samuel, at Hannah. Hannah was just another wife in Israel. In 1 Samuel, the first chapter, she's caught in a bind because her husband, Elkanah, has two wives, Penea and Hannah. And Hannah is just another, another wife in Israel. There's not anything special about her. Except that it says in the scripture, God closed her womb. Well, he closed many wombs in Israel. This wasn't an exceptional event that's, that a woman could not bear children. But there was the presence of the Holy Spirit in her heart intensifying a desire to have a baby because perhaps partially because Penea had children and Hannah didn't, and that was a dishonor to her husband. She desperately wanted a child. And Penea kept provoking her, irritating her, because... The truth was, Elkanah loved Hannah more than he loved Panea. And so there was a jealousy in the family, a bitterness in the family. And Hannah, we're told, had a bitterness in her soul that she didn't have a baby. Now, she had several choices out of that bitterness, She could allow that bitterness to poison her life and turn her into a sour, unloving person. Or she could take that bitterness and allow it to focus her in on what she most wanted, recognizing that only the Lord could grant her that request. She chose the latter. And so she began to cry out in the prayer closet, saying, I need this, Lord God of heaven. I need a baby. I need it because of my relationship with Elkanah. I need it to prove that I am a wife worthy of this man I'm married to. She needed a baby for many different reasons fulfillment as a mother. Elkanah tried to talk her out of this desire for a baby. Saying, don't I mean more to you than, than ten babies? I mean, aren't I enough for you? Well, the truth is, she wanted a baby because he meant so much to her. And she wanted to be united in oneness with the child Things became exceedingly difficult every year when they went up to worship at Shiloh because there was no space to be separate from Penea. They had to camp together. They had to be together 24-7. And Penea used this time to really irritate and cause emotional pain for Hannah. This went on year after year. So incredibly painful that she thought she'd die. Well, this kind of anguish and pain is not the normal course of the human heart. The human heart becomes calloused. It finds a way to avoid the question. It finds a way to find meaning in other ways. But the Lord kept increasing this in her heart. And as he increased this in her heart, she prayed more. She kept on praying. Until finally, she slipped away from the family and caring for Penea's sons. She slipped away from them and went directly to the tabernacle. It was almost time for them to leave and go home again. Now, Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. And in great bitterness of soul, we find in verse 10, Hannah wept much. And she prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. What an incredible vow to make before God. Now in that day, in that culture, a husband or a father could cancel the vow of a wife or a daughter within a certain amount of time. Elkanah did not have a heart to cancel that vow. He instead wanted to please Hannah, and he said, all right. So she kept on praying. And finally she ran out of tears. All she could do was whisper with her lips moving, with no voice. She was so distraught that Eli thought she was drunk, and he rebuked her. How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. And she answers, not so, my Lord. Verse 15, I am a woman who is deeply troubled, I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. As I've read this, and I've, I've talked with others about this, it seems to me that on one level, any of us, could be in this place where we are so desperately in need that we finally make a vow. And in that vow, we say, Lord, this thing that I so desperately need from you, I give to you. Whatever it is you need from God, that you have bitterness in your heart about. That you cannot make it work. It's impossible. And all you can do is pray about it. And do those simple things that God has commanded you to do. But you know nothing is going to fundamentally change if God does not step into this picture in a miraculous manner and do something to change the circumstances of your life. I think that's a very legitimate understanding of this passage of Scripture. But I'd like to zero it in much more specifically in terms of what Hannah has done And also in terms of what God's need is. I have for so many years, in many ways, been concerned about what I need. And so much of my prayer life has been consumed on this is what I need to survive, God. This is what I need from you, Lord. As I've matured in Christ, I no longer am nearly so focused on what I need as I'm focused on asking the Lord, what do you need? You see, the only way God can move in this world is through your hands and feet, through your mouth. Now, yes, he'll send his Holy Spirit, He'll bring conviction, but he does that in people. The Holy Spirit needs bodies to possess. The Holy Spirit needs people who are willing to be taken over by the Holy Spirit. And who will speak his word, who will act his actions... He has not sent the angels to do the work of the gospel. He sends us. So the Holy Spirit moves upon us to pray for what we need, but we've got to move beyond what we need and begin to ask God, what do you need, Lord? And what the Lord needed was a man-child that he could raise up to turn the heart of his people back to righteousness. He needed a man-child who would grow up in the temple, who would be righteous before him, that he could finally speak to, that he could finally communicate through to his people in such a manner that their heart would be turned toward righteousness because he intended finally to bring them a king. Now, Hannah didn't know anything about all this. Hannah didn't know that God wanted a man-child to accomplish his purpose for the Israel. But God knew that. Much of the time, I don't have any clue what God needs or what God wants. Today, I know what God needs, and I know what he wants. It's clear in the Scripture God wants men and women who will pray through for revival because revival is the child we need to have birthed, If you recognize that God has passed judgment on the church in America and that judgment is seen most clearly today, The church will hold its Super Bowl parties. There will be all the foolishness and hype. There will be the conversations that focus around the Super Bowl. This will be the premier day in America for football. And people by the millions, including Christians, will be caught up in the violence, in the sex, in the gambling. They'll be caught up in the wickedness that goes on and is associated with everything in the NFL. God's judgment is on the church. He's left. He's been grieved. He's he's gone. The church is full of many different kinds of programs because we have to cover over the absence of the Holy Spirit and the lack of power of the Holy Spirit for the church today. The judgment of God is first evidenced by his withdrawing from us. When God leaves a man, he leaves him to his own religion, into his own design, into his own agenda, and he stops communicating with that man the direction of the Holy Spirit. So today we have a church that is basically an event with entertainment, with many different kinds of programs. But the lost are not being saved. They are not turning to Jesus and they are not being transformed into his likeness. They're not being made holy. So we have a church today that has the judgment of God on it if we have eyes to see and a heart to understand. And God loves his church more than anything else in the world. God loves the church. And he wants to birth out of the church and for the church revival. Revival being defined as a new zeal for Jesus that results in a new level of obedience and commitment and being sold out to follow after the Lord God of heaven. Separated from the foolishness of the world and the emptiness of the world, focused on eternity, on heaven. Jesus' primary concern today, his great concern, is will he find faith on the earth when he returns? Will he find a people ready to to be translated into eternity. And we're told in the parable of the ten virgins that five of the virgins are not ready to go in, and five are ready. That was generous. In other places, it's a much smaller number. And he says, many are they who will try to enter, who will not be able to enter. So today we're in a desperate situation, In the American church. And we need the birth. Of the baby boy. Called revival. The birthing of that baby boy. Is going to be men and women. Who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Who stand up and begin to speak the truth. To the church in America. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. So there's a, there's a small window that the Lord has afforded us. And he needs men and women who will pray out of great anguish and grief that the Lord would bring forth a change for the church. that the Lord would birth revival in America once again. Where the church becomes alive and vibrant in Jesus, where the focus is on the cross and on the resurrection, on the blood of Jesus, and the whole agenda changes and transforms whatever job you're in. The whole agenda transforms and changes as we give to Jesus the job, the work, our life, and we seek to know what is it that God wants? What is it the Father wants from us? Eli speaks to Hannah and says, Go in peace. That is, go in shalom. Go in full provision, Hannah, and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. And then she went, she ate, and her face was no longer downcast. And God stepped in sovereignly and opened her womb. And she conceived and gave birth to a son. And she named him, Samuel, meaning heard of God. God heard me. So she named him Samuel. It came time for the family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill Elkanah's vow. But Hannah said, I I don't want to go. After the boy is weaned, I'll take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. And Alcana said, stay here until the boy is weaned. It's okay. Can you imagine a father saying, okay, let's give the boy up. How can a parent give up a child? The only way a parent can give up a child is to know that God has need of that child. When he was weaned, probably five or six years of age, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, and ephah, a flower, a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. So they slaughtered the bull. They they offered their sin offering. Then they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, in verse 26, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. So now I give him to the Lord, for his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. And she began to pray. You would think she would pray, Lord, my heart is broken, I'm giving up my son. But I understand I have to do it. Because I made the vow. That's not what she said. She said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted up. My mouth boasts over my enemies. There were many enemies who said she was a fool to give her son up. She said, I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. That's what I want to ask you today, what I want to say to you today. Are you at any level just living out your life and your interests and taking care of business without knowing or caring what God wants? I want to propose to you that the most important thing for us to know is what God wants. And then to walk in such a way with him that he can have what he wants in our lives. That we don't serve God to get something. We serve God so that he can get something. We serve God so that he can accomplish the birthing of what he most desires. If you'll read the book of Revelation, if you'll, all through the scriptures, what God most desires is a people who will be holy before him, who will keep his commandments, who will walk clean with him, who will do what he asks them to do. And in this last hour, he wants men and women who will utterly lay their lives down for revival, for his church, for this nation. Donald Trump is not going to be able to change America at a spiritual level. And that's the core root of America. And America right now, and the American church, just like the world, is sold out to darkness Only revival can change that. Only the power of God coming in mighty power can change that. The cry of my heart today. Recognizing that the Lord brings death and makes alive, verse 6, he brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sets them with princes. He has them inherit a throne of honor. All of this. All of this. Because we know what God wants. And we make vows according to what he's asking us to make vows about. And we lay our life down <clears throat> We lay our life down for that and for him to accomplish what he desires to accomplish. Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. And finally, the Lord revealed himself. And Samuel was set on a course. To lead Israel. I pray today that there is a deep tenderness in your heart. A deep compassion in your heart. For what God wants. That you would turn away from your personal agendas. Your personal activities. And focus everything on. What does God want now? What is present truth? What is it that God is calling for? And I want to say to you just very quickly, when Jesus died on the cross, he made absolute provision for us. He made the provision for us to be justified and made holy. He made provision for us to be sanctified and the old nature utterly, totally removed. He made provision for the coming of the Holy Spirit if we will cry out for him. And he made provision for us to enter into the kingdom above. He made provision for us for physical healing. Everything we need is provided in the atonement of Jesus. Everything we need is there. Today I claim the atonement of Jesus and I hear what God wants. He wants revival. He wants to revive his church. He wants to be able to possess his church once more. Oh Lord. I know you're calling for revival. And we are given utterly into your hand. And the cry of our heart is that we would know exactly what you want from us. That we would know exactly what you want from us. And there would be no stubbornness or hardness in our hearts. That our hearts would be open, poured out as water for what you want, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit of the living God. I pray in your name. Amen.